if the accelerator doesn't take equity and doesn't charge you or charges you a nominal fee and it's like it has a lot of value, it can be really great to help you focus your thinking around running a startup or founding a startup. If the accelerator takes equity and doesn't give you any investment in return, I say, do not take them. Do not join that. They will be on your cap table. The cap table is like the list of people who have shares in a company. You'll be on your cap table forever, more or less. That is not great. If they're a high value accelerator, especially if they invest money, it's something that might be worth considering. Hello, and welcome back to the latest edition of Clearview's Founder Vision, where we interview startup founders. And today we have as our guest, Miriam Schwab, who is the co-founder and CEO of Stratic.com. I am your host, Brian Gupton with Clearview. And welcome to the show, Miriam. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. It's great to have you. Maybe can you, you tell us really quickly what does Stratic do? Sure. So Stratic is a next generation hosting platform for WordPress websites. Unlike other hosting platforms where you put your WordPress site in their servers and then the internet can access it, but you're still responsible for the overall maintenance, security, performance of the site. On Stratic, we cut the WordPress site off from the web. It's only accessible to the team members who have permission. And they click a button and they generate a static replica of the site. It's also known as headless. And that's the version of the site that the internet visits. Because it's a statically generated site, which means it's just a collection of static files, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and images, there's basically nothing to hack. It's super fast. It's very scalable. And you never have to worry about the WordPress maintenance side of things ever again. Very, very cool. So we'll come back to a little bit more about Stratic here in a minute. Uh, I'm curious if you could share a little bit about your background and you know your your career prior to Stratic and you know maybe share with the audience a little bit about what inspired you to start Stratic. Okay, about 15 years ago I founded a WordPress development agency here in Israel, which is where I'm based, and we were one of the first to offer WordPress development like services to businesses. At the time WordPress was still perceived to be very much like a hobby blog platform for amateurs, not for serious businesses. I saw a lot of value in WordPress and the way that uh, you build the sites and also the plugin ecosystem and the, the overall community around it. So I started to offer that service and then eventually the market caught up and people really started, there started to be strong demand for WordPress suppliers. And so they would turn to my agency to give them those services. And so over the years, we worked with many Israeli tech companies and larger organizations on their front facing WordPress site, both developing the site and also maintaining it. Over the years through that work, I became an expert in WordPress. I'm very involved in the WordPress community. I speak at a lot of WordCamp conferences, which are the official WordPress conferences happening around the world. Before COVID, I would fly to them. Then they went online and I would log into them and speak. (laughs) And I started to really see that the WordPress ecosystem was starting to face serious issues around speed, security, scalability. And it was starting to lose its appeal to a lot of people who were looking elsewhere for other solutions. So I started to think maybe I should be looking at other solutions as well for our own clients. And maybe WordPress isn't the only option or the main option that we should be offering. So I started exploring what was out there at the time and in terms of other web development solutions. And 
and approaches. And I came across this emerging trend uh, known as static site generators, which later became known as the Jamstack. And that was a trend whereby websites were generated in a static format, like what I described Stratic does, but in a much more sophisticated way than we used to. When I started building websites, I basically built static websites. Like I would code an HTML page and upload it to a server. It was only later that I encountered WordPress. So it was kind of going full circle back to that, but in a more sophisticated manner. So I was like, that's really cool because once the site's generated as a static in a static architecture, then it's like no attack surface. There's, you know, all of the lab stack of WordPress is left behind. There's no servers to breach or potentially slow down through DDoS attacks or even just traffic. Performance becomes less of an issue because every page is pre-rendered as opposed to in WordPress where it's generated on the fly for users. So they're, they're fast and they're fast everywhere because they can be fully served up through a CDN. I was like, that's really cool. I want that. But what I realized when I looked into it further was that building those sites and then also maintaining them would demand a lot more reliance on developer resources. A lot of things that people can do in WordPress without needing a developer, that would no longer be the case in this world of the Jamstack. And that could be very limiting for the people who are the day-to-day end users of WordPress who are not developers. They're content creators and marketers and the like. So I thought, okay, so that's not great. WordPress is still great. It still has a lot of value, which I was happy to see. Maybe WordPress itself could be a static site generator and then you get the best of both worlds. So that's where the concept for Stratic came from. And I started to explore the viability around it and whether there's interest and what that would mean for the market. And slowly but surely, people started to be like, oh, it's a cool idea. Oh, maybe I'll try it. Uh Like very slowly, but there started to be sparks of interest and sparks of validation. I joined the Startup Accelerator to take it further and then subsequently sold my agency and focused on Stratic. Which accelerator did you join? So... I actually joined two, both in Jerusalem. One, very few people know about it. It was the first accelerator in Jerusalem. It's called, it was known as SIFTEC. It no longer exists, which is a shame because it was really amazing. Their approach to supporting startups in the beginning of the journey was very much like not a lot of accelerators. They have a very structured program. They're like, today we will learn about business models and tomorrow we will learn about branding. But like when you're in the beginning of your journey, your challenge on Tuesday is not necessarily whatever content they're forcing you to listen to. And Wednesday might be the day where, oh, now the content from Sunday is, re- is relevant. So in SIFTEC, they're very much about like, okay, where are you now? What do you need help with? We'll connect you with experts. You know, we'll, we'll teach you about that. We'll, we'll share information with you. That was great. And that helped me wrap my head around what it means to found a business based on a startup model because it is quite different than a services-based model. So had you built any of the technology prior to joining the accelerators or were you at just, I've got an idea. I think this is a viable business. You know, let me join the accelerator. And who was part of your team that went through the accelerator? Not, not necessarily names, but like, you know, who were, what was the kind of group that you took through the accelerator? So at that time it was just me (laughs) and what I did not have any tech yet. I had an architecture diagrammed out in like a PowerPoint. And I used like a free online scraping tool to demonstrate what I was aiming to prove, which was that if you scrape a WordPress website and just pull out the front end and deliver that separate from the back end, there's like no attack surface and it will be faster and it will be scalable. So, you know, you can test that by scanning for vulnerabilities, which no longer exist. Like you could have a WordPress, WordPress site in this format. And, and this is what Stratic offers now. 
if your WordPress site is, is isolated, which it is on Stratic and only accessible to those who have permission to access it, you could actually be running a vulnerable Strata, a WordPress website and not have to worry about patching plugins on an ongoing basis. We still recommend that site owners do that, but you don't have to do it like under pressure. So in this initial POC, I was like, okay, there's no WordPress website. There's no server. Here's a, like a static replica. It looks the same. It acts the same. Let's like throw some load at it. Let's scan it for vulnerabilities. Let's compare the speed before and after. And I was able to demonstrate that it is everything that it should be. It took a while from joining that accelerator to getting things going. It took a while for me to find my business partner or for him to find me. His name is Josh Lawrence. It's very hard to find the right business partners, like for partners to find each other and to like be able to work well together and complement each other. So thank God we do. <laughs> Did you find each other through the accelerator or through like your professional or personal network? We had already met before. First, because I'm not sure which was first actually, but he had founded some other companies and he needed someone to build his website for him and he contacted my agency. So we met around that. Um, and either before or after, his wife was working at a, a relatively large PR firm here in Israel where they had a lot of customers, clients who needed websites and they would often use our services to supply them. And so we met through that. But, you know, we were kind of in touch over the years and he saw like the journey I was going on because I, I was in the accelerator. Being an accelerator helps with a lot of things, but also like helps kind of promote your startup as something that's like in progress and in motion. You know, I posted a lot on social media about my journey and where we were at and what I was doing and why it was important. And so his previous company that he had been working with was a startup and they finished, they, they reached the end of their runway essentially. And so the, it shut down. He was looking for his next thing. And then he reached out and I was like, well, I'm looking for a partner. <laughs> so we just started working together. He just started to show up, which was great. And, and that, that's how, you know, that's how we started working together. We've been working together ever since. That's great. Now you mentioned a second accelerator. Which which program was that? That was called Mass Challenge. It actually originated in Massachusetts, and it's an accelerator from Boston. And they have a number of branches. Uh, I think in Switzerland and in London. I think in Mexico. And then they were looking to open a branch in Israel, which makes sense because there's a lot of tech in Israel. It's Israel's even got this like moniker. It's the startup nation because. Everyone in their uncle here has a startup. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so they wanted to get into the Israeli market and they, unlike a lot of other accelerators, decided to open their offices in Jerusalem, which is great because that's where I was based. And I very much wanted our startup to be a Jerusalem startup, not Tel Aviv. Everyone's in Tel Aviv. Being in Tel Aviv is like, there's a lot of value there because it's kind of like being in San Francisco. It's where all the action is, where all the resources are, where all the talent is. But I just think it's, the, this, um, the opportunities around technique to be spread outside of geographic, specific geographical areas. And Jerusalem is one of our largest cities. Like, why shouldn't there be good tech companies there as well? And while there are disadvantages to that, because it's not where all the action is, on the other hand, instead of being a small fish in a big pond, like in Tel Aviv, we were like a big fish in a smaller pond. And there's a lot of resources available to tech companies in Jerusalem because they want to help, help them succeed. So anyways, Mass Challenge came to Jerusalem. And I joined their first cohort, which was very exciting to be accepted to it. And that gave more of a global perspective because of their international identity themselves. So that was really great. I took whatever I learned from SIFTEC, the first accelerator, used it to successfully apply to Mass Challenge and, and then proceed there. 
what I got out of being at Mass Challenge, okay, was first of all, meeting other founders. That's a huge value. Being a, an accelerator is, that's one of the biggest values that a founder can get because you're with other people who are going through very similar challenges to you and you can give each other advice and it's very relevant advice and make introductions, whatever. So I've stayed in touch with a lot of the founders that I was with in both accelerators. The other advantage for us there was that after the accelerator ended, it was, a, it's an accelerator that was like seasonal. So it was like three months of the year, four months of the year, and the rest of the year, they have this beautiful, amazing big space that was empty. They're like, you guys could sit here. I was like, thank you. We will do that. <laughs> and so it was free office space, but also like still there were other founders there. So we got to like still be, it was like co-working space. And then as our team grew, we were able to like, we took over more and more space there. And then we, we ended up renting from, from them, but it was just great to kind of be, stay in our, in our home or like our, where we originated in a way. And I did meet investors at both accelerators who ended up investing. I met a lot of investors. Most of them did not end up investing, but a few did. And uh, so that was another value. Having gone through two accelerators, what advice can you give the listeners out there for how to get the most out of whichever program they choose? And maybe even like how to choose a program. So first of all, there are two models around accelerators. One is come join the accelerator and we're not going to charge you and we're not going to take equity. That's great. <laughs> and it's like assuming it's a good accelerator with a good reputation. Like, yeah, that's a no brainer from my perspective. You have to invest your time and attention and focus in it, but that's, that's a really great model. And both accelerators that I, that I joined had that model. In fact, Mass Challenges model was even, went even further. They would give out cash prizes to certain startups at the end who kind of won their competition based on certain criteria. We were not a winner, which is fine because we still got a lot of value out of it, but that's, those accelerators. Then there's accelerators that either charge the founders some kind of fee or take equity. Now, if the fee is nominal and it's kind of like to cover like the space and whatever, and it makes like it makes sense. Okay, great. Like that's fine because there's pro- possibly a lot of value they can get out of it. Once they want to st- start taking equity, you need to be much more careful. So I recommend that founders not join accelerators that take equity without investing any money. So from the equity taking accelerators, there's two types. One that says you joined our accelerator. You are so very privileged to do so. We are going to take equity and you're and in return, you're just going to participate in our accelerator. I say, do not do that. <laughs> the other kind, they take equity, but they also give you the value of the accelerator plus some kind of investment. Well, the one that comes to mind that does that is Techstars. So Techstars, they have an, an Israeli branch and a They have branches in the States. I don't know if it's multiple, it's at least one. It's a very high quality accelerator. That is worth considering for for an early stage founder because they really bring a lot of value. They have an amazing network and they're actually investing money. And I'm sure that there are others that are are like of that level of quality and invest and that they, oh, well, Y Combinator, of course, is the biggest example of that. Y Combinator was the ones who started, were the ones who started this model. They take something like between five and seven and a half percent of the company in equity and they invest it might have changed by now. It does vary, but something like $150,000. That's great. For an early stage founder, $150,000 can help them do a lot, you know, defray cloud costs, legal costs, whatever stuff in the beginning. Plus Y Combinator for sure brings a ton of value and Techstars does as well. And I'm, and I'm sure there are others. So basically if the accelerator doesn't take equity, 
and doesn't charge you or charges you a nominal fee. And it's like, it has a lot of value. It can be really great to help you focus your thinking around running a startup or founding a startup. If the accelerator takes equity and doesn't give you any investment in return, I say, do not take them. Do not join that. They will be on your cap table. The cap table is like the list of people who have shares in a company. You'll be on your cap table forever, more or less. That is not great. If they're a high value accelerator, especially if they invest money, it's something that might be worth considering. Sure. And, and I'm curious, like, you know, so so some of the accelerators, like particularly like y, y Combinator, a lot of their founding teams are quite young and people that don't, you know, have like a, a, a lot of professional business experience. And, and I'm curious, someone like yourself that had been in the industry for a while, you've been a business person, you've, you were running your own agency. How, how much of the content in the accelerator programs, candidly speaking, was stuff you already knew and, and things that, you know, was highly relevant to someone who's maybe not been in the business world? But, you know, did you feel, did you feel a sense of, you know, like I'm auditing courses I already took? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, okay, the content mostly was not valuable, but not because the, the, it wasn't valuable in and of itself, but that sometimes it was so irrelevant to the stage that I was at, I couldn't even like put it in any kind of context. And sometimes they were trying to teach us things where, frankly, you get to the stage where if you need to deal with this type of stuff, you hire professionals that that is their area of expertise. Now, yes, of course, we should be educated consumers. Like, I need to know what a cap table is. I need to know what investing is. I need to know all of this kind of stuff, like around the financial operations of a tech company. I definitely need to know that. But then sometimes the content would get into like the nitty gritty of, of these things. And I'm just like, I know from my previous business in Israel, like, the accounting system is different than the States, but let's say here, you must have a good bookkeeper. The bookkeeper actually brings more valuable than the accountant to businesses. They really can even be strategic. The bookkeeper does the like ongoing tracking of uh, expenses and invoices that according to the Israeli tax system. And the accountant just does the annual audit. But like between those two suppliers, which you must have in any business, whether it's services or startup, I'm covered. Also on the legal side of things, like do I really need to know the ins and outs of uh, like certain legalities of a seed round or an investment round. No, I need to know the top level like concepts, but when it gets into the details, someone else is going to be crossing the T's and dotting the I's and it's going to be a lawyer, not me. Like, right. you know, I can't be an expert in everything and I shouldn't be an expert in everything. So, so sometimes that was like what the content was like, but overall what having the content made available does is it frame, it gives you a frame of reference for what it means to run a startup and what it is that you need to be aware of. So even if like you just absorb a fraction of it, you've like you've understood, okay, this is a safe, this is a cap table, this is how like pitching can be more successful, this is how you would do your deck, like all these concepts. And so you're like, oh, I need to know about a deck, I need to know about pitching, I need to know about like safes and cap tables and what the different rounds are and branding and messaging and hiring, even if it's not relevant at the time, but there's no question the greatest school of running a startup or any business is actually doing it. Right. <laughs> so the vast majority of my knowledge came after, but it was, it really helped lay the groundwork for me to be able to move forward. Do you think having gone through these two as accelerators now, I'm sure for folks who were going through these accelerators in the last you know couple of years, they were probably mostly remote. And I, I'm curious, like, if that's a viable model for for an accelerator 
outside of, you know, COVID required conditions, given that so much of going through the experiences is about making these connections, you know, with your cohorts, with investors, you know, with whomever, which, what's your feeling on that? So I'm a, a big fan of remote in general. Our company during like the early stages of COVID uh, went remote and then we stayed remote. So we're a remote first company and I love it. And I think it has a lot of advantages in terms of allowing me and my team to have kind of more quality of life, work-life balance um, type of stuff. But I do not understand how an accelerator brings value remotely. So even though I think remote is great, I really, the, the great thing about the accelerators was the vibe, the vibe. And I hate when people talk about vibe. I can't stand when companies are like, no, we need to have an office because we need to have that chit chat. I'm like, oh my gosh, just get on a Zoom call, get on a Google Meet and chit chat if you need to. Like, it's not like you can't do that anymore. That's, to me, it's nonsense. But in the beginning of the journey, it's like you need a lot of motivation and, and it's kind of like a, a certain level of hype. Like here I am, I'm part of this group of peers. We all have like these big grand visions and we're all taking this leap to do it together. And we're meeting each other and we're hanging out together and every day coming into that space, it's like, it's a great feeling and it's very motivating and you feel like, okay, I can do this because if they can do it and they can do it, then I can do it too. And then just also meeting the speakers and the investors who come through and all the different providers. How do you do that remotely? I, I don't know. I I'm sure that there are accelerators who do it successfully and, and maybe in some ways it's better, but I feel like startup founders are maybe missing out on that if the accelerators they're participating in are remote. It seems like dr- much drier and yeah, yeah I, I don't know how it can work as well. No, I've, I've talked to a few founders who went through, a, you know, well-known accelerators in the last couple of years. And, you know, I asked them about the experience and they are, you know, they're like, yeah, it was good. But you could just tell that there was a little bit of uh, the, the, you know, the the real value that was um, missing. I, I'm sure some people, somebody will figure out a model to make that work. And of course, if you're outside of, you know, major tech centers, um, then that might be your, your, your only option. So, um, you know, if in a situation like that, um, I, I, like I'm, I'm curious, how could someone who was required to, for whatever reason to go through and, and do something, an accelerator remotely, how, how could they best take advantage of the alumni network that, that, that is there if, you know, cause it's one thing you can learn all of that stuff, the kind of courses remotely, I think very easily, but one of the big advantages is, you know, not just your cohort, but that alumni network. And um, how, how have you approached that? So having been in SIFTEC and Mass Challenge, and I participated in a few other programs along the way, like at one point, Google had this program where Every year they would choose a different topic and they would select 10 startups from around the world to come to one of the Google headquarters somewhere in the world for like a week and focus on that topic. I I don't know what happened to that program, but it was very fortuitous timing for me that I had like, I was already maybe a year into Stratic and they decided to do their next session based around cybersecurity and they decided to do it in Israel, in the Israeli headquarters here. And I applied and I got accepted. And it was an it was an amazing program. Like it was just also great vibe, great founders, and 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 there's been a few other things like that along the way. And we have not really kept in touch. So I would say that in order for accelerators to make sure that 
the founders are getting that that part of the value out of what they're offering. It, the onus is on them to organize really good events and really good ways for the alumni to network. Founders are super busy people. It's really hard to be like, oh, there's all these alumni. Who should I should I have coffee? I don't have time for coffee. Who am I going to choose? And I don't have you know like you don't have time. So it's like some ways that accelerators could do would be like random matching of founders like Miriam. Hey, do you want to meet Jane? You know, she's doing this. You think, you know, meet for half an hour and like schmooze and get to know each other. Like, you know, let's say once a month, they would like do these kinds of matches or bring in like an amazing speaker and like have them have the alumni join. And then maybe afterwards have like a, like a chat room where everyone can kind of just also schmooze. And then also I would say start having in-person events also, let's say once a year, but choose a location and offer people to fly in and like do like a kind of retreat for founders. But it's really the onus is on the accelerator to be like, okay, this network is so valuable, but and it shouldn't end when the accelerator ends. And we have to help our alumni stay in touch. Because that really is almost the biggest value that they get out of these accelerators. And so I would say it's on them. I've had a hard time. I'm in some WhatsApp groups with like founders, but like, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And like, it's hard to stay in touch that way. And I would have, I would appreciate it if the programs that I was in would like maybe take more initiative. And I understand why they don't. Just doing their accelerator program is a huge deal. Like, thank you. I really, I'm appreciative to them for doing that. I'm just saying if they want to make it work remotely from that perspective, they would need to invest like in resources in that. Yeah, for sure. So, so you're, you've joined an accelerator, you found your, your, your co-founder, you've, you know, you've kind of figured out like what your, your MVP needs to, consist of how do you get from from that stage to an actual product launched and and i'm curious about the specifics around how long did it take what were some of the obstacles you you ran into how much did it actually cost uh roughly to to get that initial product built and you know once you were done like where did you find yourself did it was it something that you hit a home run like from the very beginning or was that MVP really just a first step and there was a lot more to do from there? Well, considering, let's say I was in this mass challenge accelerator in 2016, me, I didn't like connect with uh, my co-founder Josh about being a co-founder till 2017. We only incorporated as a company in 2018. So just even that timeline was long until we could get anything up and running. I would scrape and beg favors from developer friends and be like, can you please like just code this for me or like try to work with people who could maybe help on that level. We were not getting anywhere on like on that level at all. Well, probably the fact that you were, you would run an agency where you, you probably either employed or interacted with, with folks like that was, was super. Oh yeah, definitely. It definitely helped. But looking back, I realized I wasn't, I wasn't good at managing them then like as good as, like I learned a lot about doing that better since then. It's just, you know, scraped together like an MVP that was super basic and worked on very few websites and was very buggy. And then in 2018, with that, we incorporated and we raised our pre-seed round. It was rolling, a rolling pre-seed. It was like, it was like all of it at once. It was an amount, another amount, but it enabled us to, to hire our initial team and make the product better and start getting our initial customers. The way we got our initial customers was also by begging and pleading and being like, 
listen, you have a WordPress site and you're paying GoDaddy five bucks a month, just pay that to us. <laughs> like move your site, yeah. we'll charge you the same. Just just be on Stratic. It was really important for us to get customers on board for a few reasons. One is validation, right? Like you need to show that people will pay you for your product. Not everyone was like, please, please, please. Like a lot, some, a lot of the customers came on their own volition. There's that, but also I highly recommend to founders to get people using your product as fast as possible because you learn so much from how they're using it. First of all, in terms of how they experience your product and what is confusing to them, what makes sense to them. And also like for us, at least, you know, every WordPress site is like a snowflake. That's how I describe it. It, Each one is a totally unique thing. It's got its own set of plugins installed. It's got its own themes using its own server. It's got its running its own version of PHP. It's like everything's different. So how do we make sure that we can support as many of them as possible? And the only way to, even though in my, from my background, I brought a ton of knowledge and um, someone who worked with me in my previous company, Rebecca, she joined Stratic as well. And so, you know, we brought a ton of knowledge and and, um, other people from the WordPress uh, community also joined Stratic. And so, you know, we understand the market, we understand users, et cetera, but so many things in a WordPress site that you wouldn't think about in standard hosting, you need to think about a Stratic and be aware of. So slowly but surely, we would start to roll out more and more support for different edge cases, use cases, functionality, plugins, etc. Our first customers, some, a lot of them like didn't stick around because our product was too buggy. Like the static site was everything we said it was when it fully published properly and wasn't missing like CSS and images, <laughs> things like that. If it happens too often, they're going to be like, listen, we love what you're doing, but we just can't stick around because it's like, it's too painful right now. And we totally get it. Like, that's just how it is. So, but we managed to make enough progress on the product and get enough customers on board that we were able to set out to raise our seed round. So it was about, it's like every step is like building blocks in order to just get you to the next step, which in our case was we needed to get to the next step where we could raise a more significant round so that we can build out the product even better, build out our team, you know, build this even stronger team to cover more ground, et cetera. So that's, that's how it went. So I'm curious, and you you may not be comfortable answering this question, and that's totally cool. Uh, but I I'm, I am kind of curious, how much did it cost to get to the point where the product was mostly viable? A lot. <laughs> it costs a lot, and it's yeah. all basically human, like you know, developers. It's all of the, it's all, the vast majority of our costs are team members. Right. And as time has gone on, hiring high quality team members has become more and more expensive. That's just how it is. So especially in the Israeli market, the amount of venture capital funding that's being poured into the tech market here is, is really, it's just, it's just every quarter beats previous quarter. Like it's just record breaking every quarter. And what that means is that a lot of companies here have a lot of resources and their whole goal basically with that money is to hire. They need to hire and they need to hire fast then aggressively. So everyone's got the resources, not everyone, but let's say a lot of companies here got the resources. Their goal is to grow their teams and they're all competing for the same talent. So of course, high supply, high demand means rising prices. And so um, salaries are going up. It's expensive to build, to hire great people and build out a product the way that you should. How did you know when you were like, not just ready to, 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 to raise a a seed round because of course that's also driven by you know how much runway you have but that you were in a position to actually raise from professional investors 
I think at every stage is a combination of two factors. One is you're more or less at the stage where you, you can make the case for it. And also you must. <laughs> you must is a very powerful driver for getting anything done. So, and then when you must, you make the most of the situation. So we had people telling us that we wouldn't succeed in raising our seed round. And we didn't actually, we did not succeed in raising from Israeli investors for various reasons, but we didn't suit their, we weren't like the, the type of startup that they were familiar with, both in terms of like our market, which is web and our founding team and just, you know, basically everything about us. But then we were very fortunate to be introduced to Eric Reese, the author of The Lean Startup, who was very excited about what we were doing. And he made a lot of introductions for us and basically helped us raise our seed round. It's not like people got an email from him and were like, oh, totally, we're investing. Like, it's, it's not, it doesn't work like that. But it got us in the door. It's good validation. And after a lot of meetings, we still had to meet a lot of investors. It came together and we ended up raising quite a bit more than we had set out to raise. And, and it was even um, oversubscribed, which means we had to tell certain investors that they, that we just didn't have room for them in the round. But just like on a, from an object, objective perspective, in terms of where we were at, in terms of traction, revenue and that, a lot of people told us there's, you don't have, a, you don't stand a chance to raise. But in, when you're building a startup, some investors, a lot of investors will invest in companies that don't meet objective criteria because they believe in the founding team. They believe in the vision. They see a huge market potential. And, and so they get behind the company because of that potential opportunity. So that, that seemed to work well for us. You know, I'm an industry expert and a thought leader to a certain extent. And our CTO is Zeb Sarasky, who's the co-creator of the PHP programming language, which powers WordPress and is, it powers something like 75% of the internet. So they saw, you know, a strong team that they believed in and, and we had the validation and also were part of a trend that not a lot of investors didn't understand at the time, but ours did, which is this move towards the Jamstack and headless architectures and the growth of WordPress. Anyways, it was like a combination of factors, but it's basically about you must, you get to the point where you must raise it, you make the most of it, and you work really, really hard. <laughs> Did you run into the lead investor conundrum where you had a bunch of people who said, yeah, I'll invest, but you got to find a lead investor. Oh, and yeah. That's like, yeah. One after another. Oh, we're in, just find a lead. We're in, just find a lead. And we're like, now we're, I especially, I'm like a first time fundraising founder like this. So I was like, okay, so we'll just find a lead. But I started to become clear that that's like the big challenge. And I didn't know that going into the process. And we would just have like lists of investors who were like, I'll be in if you can find a lead. But then what happens is that because none of them would take the leap and be a lead until someone did take a leap and was a lead. At that point, the round was oversubscribed. And like, some of them didn't get into the round, which, you know, I don't know if that like mattered that much to them. Some of them, yes, some of them less, but I'm just saying like that can work against them. Like right. they'll like easily be like, sign me up. If you get a lead, sign me up if you get a lead. Once we get the lead, there might not be room for you, which is kind of how it works out. Yeah. We should do a whole episode on just that conundrum because I think it's a lot of first time founders don't understand. So true. You know, that, anything around that. It doesn't really get talked a, a lot about. Right, you're right. You know, and it's it's really something that, you know, probably people, if you're looking to start a company, you got to think strategically about, 
you know, how you, you know, who, who are you outreaching to and, you know, making sure you're finding those lead investors early. But of course, the lead investors, it becomes a chicken and egg thing. They want to see that you've got other investors yeah. interested, right? So, yeah, totally. It's, well, it's like a lot of juggling, trying to get it all to work together, the timing and the, it's tricky. You're right. Well, so we've had a, a great conversation here, but we're kind of running up uh, time. We'll have to have a, a another session and get an update on where you guys are in a year or so. But uh, you know, I'm curious just to kind of wrap up for the folks out there who might be interested in checking out the product. Can you talk a little bit about who the product's for, and also, you know, what what is the your your goals for the for the next year? Um, what type of resources are you looking to add? What kind of problems are you solving, you know, internally? And, you know, where do you think you'll be in a year from now? So in terms of the product and who it's for, at the moment, most of our our customers are companies, are our companies, first of all, where they have a front-facing WordPress website and that website is, is has value to them. It's important to them for their sales, marketing, branding, like it matters to them. And they're probably already investing resources into it, whether it's on the hosting level, developers that are, you know, consistently working on it, marketing teams, etc. And so they already care about the stability of the site, quality of the site in general on every level. Um, the person within the, these companies who gets most excited about Stratic and tends to find us and bring us in-house are developers. Because um, the company, and rightfully so, has decided that they need a WordPress site and not another type of site because the marketing team needs it in order to do their job well. Makes a lot of sense. We have customers who tried to leave WordPress, build sites on other platforms, like Webflow and some other static site generators and had to come back to WordPress because the marketing team was like, we can't do our job now. So they need a WordPress site. They also need technical know-how around it to keep it running well. And that person who's been tasked with running, keeping it running some developer who's like not excited about WordPress because WordPress is a legacy platform and it's not cool. And it's like, it's not their cup of tea. So they're not thrilled about it. Well, they're constantly looking for ways to make the headache of manage WordPress less. So when they find Stratic, they're very excited because they're already familiar with this trend of Jamstack and headless and static. So they're excited about the prospect of applying it to the WordPress site so that the site that they're deploying now is a site they can be proud of. It's actually running on a very modern architecture, even though um, it's WordPress, which is often perceived as legacy. And the marketing team gets to keep doing things the way that they did before. So they don't have to try to sell a, like a new technology or new workflows to the marketing team. So basically, Stratic is good for companies and organizations where the WordPress site matters them a lot and they don't want to have to think or deal with security, speed, scalability, or they've maybe even experienced downtime and they just don't want any of that anymore then Stratic is a good solution for them. They can just migrate the site over to Stratic, click a button, generate the static version. And from that point on, they can sleep at night. We have a lot of people who basically say, oh, since we moved to Stratic, I can sleep at night because WordPress can be fickle and just have issues at like 2 a.m., that kind of thing. So that's in terms of the customers. And we have a number of tiers and people can go sign up for our free trial and test it out for 30 days. If they want to extend it, they just can chat to our amazing customer success team in the intercom chat on our site. And we're happy to extend it so people can test it longer. And that's the customers in terms of what we aim to do over the next year. So now that we've you know validated the product, we've got product market fit, and we've determined our persona of the buyer, and we're heading in a 
product-led growth direction in terms of our go-to-market. We're going to be focusing on that. A lot of demand gen, increasing um, top-level free trial, and we've been doing a really good job of that actually over the last few months. Um, also exploring partnerships with companies where it's very complementary. Like we can really, it's really a win-win relationship and we're in talks with a number of very large companies in the cloud and hosting and CDN space around that. So, and also we'd like to launch our agency program, which we haven't done yet. Agencies manage a lot of WordPress sites and Strata can take a lot of headache off of them from that. So those are some of the things we have planned. We're going to be building out, God willing, our marketing team to support the product-led growth um, and hiring some more engineers, things like that. Excellent. And so where are you going to be in a, a year from now? Oh, my. Um, I think we'll be like a very serious player in the WordPress hosting space. I hope that we'll get to our next goal is to get to the point where when people using WordPress site are looking for a solution to their security woes or speed woes or scalability woes, they don't automatically search for security plugins or caching plugins. They look for Stratic. They look for static WordPress solutions. There's a lot of education that still needs to be done. So I hope we'll, you know, be able to make a big push around that. And we become essentially the no brainer option. Like, why would you put your site anywhere else? And then we become a pretty serious contender. And we also help kind of ensure WordPress's future by bringing like this modern approach to WordPress and WordPress to the modern approach, which by the way, they also need it. They need to access WordPress. WordPress is 43% of the internet almost like at this point. So it's huge. So, and helping basically helping people do their jobs so that they don't have to be dealing with the WordPress site. They can be doing their jobs and, um, and their site will just run really well for them. So I think hopefully that's where we'll be in a year. Excellent. Well, we'll check back in with you in a, in a year, Miriam, and see where you are, where you're going and wish you all the luck and really appreciate your, your time today for the listeners out there. Miriam has generously offered uh, 80% off your first year and we'll provide that URL in the show description. This was great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad we could have this conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Till next time, we'll see you on Founder Vision. Mm-hmm.